Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 525. Welcome in. It is early morning here in the Northwest. It's already been a weird morning. It's rained. It's been sunny. It's supposed to snow, actually, in 10 minutes. Who knows? The weather in the Northwest is notoriously weird this time of year, where it'll be on and off and not make up its mind. So, ideally, it'd be sick if it's snowing behind me on camera. That'd be pretty cool. I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, let's jump in. we got a lot to talk about today. This is the midweek episode. Tomorrow will be the Friday episode. Um, I want to start by talking about Trevor Lawrence, the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback, during NFL Week 12 this past weekend, the Jaguars got a really big win. They beat the Ravens 28-27. to And the end of this game was really, really fun. The Ravens got a touchdown with two minutes and two seconds left. That gave them a 25-20 to lead. So the Ravens had a five-point lead. And then the Ravens went for two and got it to give them a seven-point lead, 27-20. to That meant that Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars got the ball down seven points Two minutes, two seconds left on the clock. First and 10 on their own 25-yard line. And Trevor Lawrence, the former number one overall pick, led a 75-yard game-winning drive in a two-minute drill. It was beautiful. It was awesome. In general, uh, in this game, Trevor Lawrence looked really, really good. He was 29 for 37 passing, only eight incomplete passes. By the way, I watched all of them. He pretty much only had one bad decision all game. Well done, Trevor. That's pretty awesome. Uh, So again, 29 for 37 passing, 321 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, He did fumble twice. Uh, One fumble was a turnover. He was trying to make a play scrambling. Only had one hand on the football, got hit from behind. Ball came out. That's a simple fix. You got to have two hands on the football. That's an easy thing to talk about in the film room. Uh, Now the key here is that Trevor Lawrence led two really great, brilliant, 75-yard touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. And Trevor was great in the final moments when it mattered most. And I would call this game a flash of brilliance for Trevor Lawrence. It's not all good. Uh, You know, on that game-winning drive I talked about, got the ball two minutes left, 75 yards to go. He actually had a fumble. He started the drive off negatively. He had a fumble, lost a bunch of yards, got sacked, fumbled. He was lucky his team actually picked up the fumble. On a third and 21, he threw for like 16 yards. They converted a fourth and five. Um, It wasn't pretty, but from that point on, it was incredible. Just big throw after big throw. And again, I go back to this. When it mattered most, Trevor Lawrence made a lot of big plays in this football game. And and finally, I don't know if finally is the right word there, but this game felt like confirmation. Oh, yeah. This is why Trevor was drafted number one overall. He's gotten a lot of hate over the years. Uh, a lot of criticism this year. And I will admit, Trevor Lawrence has made mistakes. The team is 4-7, and seven, and part of why they haven't won more games is because Trevor has made mistakes and not been perfect this year. But Week 12 against the Ravens, Trevor was outstanding. And this is why I always preach that you need to be patient with young quarterbacks. They need time to develop. Hey, If you want to give up on a quarterback in the first three years, they got to either be really immature or there's a better option available or they're just not that physically talented. I'm I'm down with all that. But Trevor is really physically talented. He does show maturity. Uh, There isn't a better option I can think of for the Jacksonville Jaguars at quarterback. And 
I often say that you should wait to raise your expectations for a young quarterback until about the middle of year three. I think you can even push that timeline back farther for Trevor Lawrence, given the fact that he had to endure an entire nightmare year last year being coached by Urban Meyer. There's no way that didn't throw off his development a little bit. And it's been really bizarre and frustrating seeing all the hot takes and all of the, I'll, I'll say it, strong opinions out there from people saying, Trevor's a bust. He should have been the number one overall pick. He's washed up. I'll, I'll be honest. Trevor's not that impressive as a leader. I think Trevor, there's a, a great video of him in the tunnel with his football team. Hey, guys, let's let's do it. And it's like, oh, yeah, I feel so motivated. I'm going to run through a brick wall. Not. Like, Trevor's not the most motivating character in the world. He's very monotone. He's I, I don't think I would connect with him very well as a human. But, man, a lot of people that criticize him have been very, very unfair. And I got to repeat the timeline. He had a whole year last year. Not only did he go to the Jacksonville Jaguars organization, he had Urban Meyer, a disaster as his head coach. Can we be a little bit patient? Can we be a little bit forgiving of Trevor Lawrence if he's learning how to play quarterback in the NFL with Doug Peterson as his head coach? I just, I don't know. I'm not in a hurry to throw Trevor Lawrence away. Last year, everyone was saying he's the second coming of Andrew Luck. You know, suddenly now, if he's not perfect, He's a bust. And I just don't understand these dramatic back and forth and back and forth. I I don't know. Like, you know how hard it was for me to stop kind of buying into Zach Wilson? Because I teach patience. It's really important to me to like, hey, let's give this quarterback every chance before we give up. Now, Zach Wilson, I thought, was really immature. Mike White did great in replacing him. I go, ah, for now, there's a better option in New York, right? But it, I think it should take a lot more changes for a a team or a fan base to give up on a quarterback. And it's really bizarre to me how quickly we, we just decide to give up but without really like, you know, how many people gave up on Tua. I was even starting to doubt Tua. Tua himself was starting to doubt Tua, but Tua looks great. Now you got to be patient with young quarterbacks. And I just repeat that it was really, really frustrating to me. The, the narrative about Trevor Lawrence that he couldn't play. Now, uh, I want to give credit to Doug Peterson in this football game. I I love, love, love the decision. The Jaguars were down one point, 26 to 27. They just had a really sweet touchdown drive in a two-minute drill, 14 seconds left on the clock. And the Jaguars could have kicked the extra point to tie the game 27-27 and kind of decide to go to overtime. But they didn't do that. The Jaguars went for two, they went for the win, they got it, and they won. And I like that decision even if if it fails. Here's why. It reminds me of the USC-Utah game earlier this year. By the way, the reason why USC has one loss in college football is because Utah did exactly that. They went for two at the end of the game. They're like, we're not going to overtime. And I I think it says a lot of, you're giving respect to your opponent, actually, when you're like, I don't want to go to overtime with you. You've got... Lamar Jackson, a really talented football team. I don't want to risk, you know, overtime against your former MVP quarterback, Lamar Jackson. How about now? While I have control, I go for the win on my own terms. And I'll win or lose on this two-point conversion, but at least I didn't give you another opportunity to beat me in overtime. And I I love that mindset. I wish more people had it. We're seeing it happen more and more in the the NFL and football world, but um, I just applaud. I think... Whether it succeeds or fails, I like that decision-making paradigm. Keep control in your own hands. Go for two. Control your own destiny. It worked out for the Jaguars. They won 28-27. But I got to say, I would have supported it even if they lost. Because 
You got to respect who you're playing on the other side of that football field. That's Lamar Jackson. That's an NFL MVP. I don't want to go to overtime against Lamar Jackson. And I don't think neither would you in that situation. So I love what the Jaguars did. It was awesome. Um, Finally, dude, Jaguars receiver Zay Jones in this football game had 11 catches for 145 yards. And what's not counted on the stat sheet, by the way, he had the game-winning catch for a two-point conversion. I love it. it I want to give a, you know, kind of a shout-out and a throwback to last year. Does anyone remember the wild overtime game week one of the NFL season, you know, of the NFL season 2021 last year? The Raiders played the Baltimore Ravens week one, Monday Night Football. Game went to overtime. And guess who had the game-winning walk-off touchdown catch in that football game? Zay Jones. So now two years in a row, Zay Jones has had the game-winning catch to beat the Baltimore Ravens. I love to see that. And Zay Jones is a cool story, man. He couldn't quite crack the starting lineup with the Raiders. They they never quite valued him enough as I thought he could, but he always showed potential. He had some a moment here or there. And last year with the Raiders, he had 47 catches with 546 yards receiving and one touchdown. This offseason, the Jaguars made kind of a crazy move. They're like, we, we have confidence in Zay Jones. We're going to give him a three-year, $30 million deal. They believed in him. They paid in him. Great for Zay Jones, by the way. I, if anyone wants to pay me $30 million to live in Florida where there's no state income tax and the weather's nice, email my email's in the description and bio. Hit me up. I would happily take $30 million to live in Florida with no state income tax. It'd be awesome. Anyway, Zay Jones is having... Right now, the best year of his entire career. Already 10 games in, he's got more yards and more catches than last year. 58 catches, 562 yards, one touchdown catch. And I'm just happy for Zay Jones, but it's also, it's kind of weird. Like, two years in a row now, Zay Jones has had the game-winning touchdown catch against the Baltimore Ravens with two different teams. Kind of funny, kind of weird, kind of cool. Again, the story of this game, though, in my opinion, is that Trevor Lawrence looked like a former number one overall pick. It was awesome. You got to be patient with young quarterbacks. Give them time to properly develop. We're so quick to give up and discard them. And I know on Twitter, I know in headlines, it looks great to say, this guy's a bust. He sucks. I can't believe it. But like, dude, wait, just wait. Three years in, you can find, I haven't even, I've been very careful. I've said, hey, Mike White's probably the best quarterback in New York right now, right? With the Jets. And he's probably the best option right now. He's playing better. Zach Wilson looks immature, but I'm not going to call Zach Wilson a bust yet. It's too early. Like, it's just not fair. And I really, really hate how unfair people are towards quarterbacks. It's ridiculous. It's silliness. And uh, I just generally hate it. By the way, the Jaguars are now four and seven. I thought they had a great win over Baltimore. They were coming off their bye week. They beat the Ravens. Well done. Round of applause there. Now, there's six games left this year for the Jaguars. They play at Detroit, at Tennessee. They play the Dallas Cowboys. They play at the Jets. They play at Houston. A lot of away games. And then the last game of the year, the Jaguars play at home against Tennessee, who, by the way, in that game, it's likely Tennessee is going to already be in the playoffs. They're going to rest our starters. I can't imagine playing Derrick Henry, you know, week 18, end of the year, when you're already in the playoffs. So I, I think that's a great opportunity for the Jaguars to win. If the Jaguars go 3-3 three and three the rest of the year, they finish 7-10, and 10, I think that's not bad. I think they can even do better, though. Maybe they can go four and two in their final six games, finish eight and nine. 
Uh, that would really impress me. So keep your eye on the Jaguars, how they do the rest of the year. Again, they play at Detroit this week, which is a, I think, a winnable game. Not not like a guaranteed winner. There's nothing like that in the NFL, especially not for a team like the Jaguars, who are trying to fight back and be a good football team. But we saw Trevor Lawrence looked really, really good week 12. And I'm like, hey, things are changing. He's getting better. He's probably going to slip up. He's not going to be perfect the rest of the year. But man, I'm telling you, you got to be patient with young quarterbacks and He's talented. He's making good decisions. He's throwing the ball really, really well. I really like what I saw from Trevor Lawrence week 12, and it made me really hopeful for the future. And it felt really good to see a lot of, you know, people that have just been, he's a bust. He's terrible. Can you believe it? Justin Fields is the best quarterback in the draft. Well, hey, uh, by the way, Justin Fields didn't have to play for Urban Meyer last year. I love Justin Fields. I'm a massive supporter. He's looked incredible this year. But when you calculate the development and the timeline for Trevor Lawrence, you have to, you have to acknowledge how much of a nightmare last year was and how much it probably set him back development-wise. He lost a year of his career because he had a terrible head coach who put him in a bad situation over and over again. So I don't know, man. Can we be a little bit more um, generous when we talk about Trevor Lawrence and maybe stop being so harsh and so ready to just criticize and throw him away? I, I don't really know why people do that. Again, at the time of the draft, I was actually like, hey, can we slow down the narrative? He's not Andrew Luck. He's really good. But Joe Burrow was a better quarterback prospect. But now it's swung so far the other way. And I just, I can't keep up, man. I'm so tired with all the narratives. It's all one thing. It's all the other. Nothing's black and white in the sports world. Or really, almost anything is black and white in humanity ever. I, I think most things are nuanced. And it really kills me how... I know the show is called Strong Opinion Sports. It's become basically moderate opinion sports. I I don't know how to feel about that, but I try to be fair. And a lot of people aren't with Trevor Lawrence and it drives me absolutely nuts. Okay. Let's talk about Monday night football. Monday night football this week was a tale of two quarterbacks. One at the beginning, one quarterback at the beginning and one quarterback at the end. Uh, what happened was the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Indianapolis Colts 24-17. to I thought Steelers rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett had a really good game. He was 20 for 28 passing, 174 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, though, and no turnovers in general. So I thought a clean game, good decision-making, eight incomplete passes. They ran the ball pretty well. Here's how things worked out. The Steelers had a lead 16-3 to at halftime. In the third quarter, Indy came alive. They made it a game. Indy actually took the lead 17-16. to And then in the fourth quarter, Kenny Pickett responded and had an 11-play, 75-yard touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, had a couple really nice throws on third down, put together this what would become the game-winning drive. Uh, and look, the Steelers' offense wasn't perfect. You know, Deontay Johnson dropped what should have been a touchdown on a back shoulder fade. Again, great throw, should have been caught. He dropped it. Uh, Earlier in the game, Kenny Pickett actually had George Pickens open in the end zone. He overthrew him by like a step. Like, you know, he got one hand on the ball. Sorry, I am my mic. He got one hand on the ball, couldn't get two. It's a slight overthrow. I don't like that. There's little things that Kenny Pickett's got to do better. Uh, You know, you also see, how do I, we'll get there in a minute, but I I would say all in all, um, it was a great day for Kenny Pickett. You know, he had a, Big fourth quarter touchdown drive. Also a two-point conversion on that drive. He made good decisions all game long. I think the number one thing Kenny Pickett is struggling with right now in the NFL is he's still adjusting to all of the different looks 
that NFL defenses can show you. Uh, you know, for example, there was a play. It's a simple read. He knows how to read a slant out concept. But the safety was way back. And the safety on the snap ran all the way from way back down into the flat to cover the flat route. He threw the flat route. The safety was right there to make the play on the ball. Um, it's the little stuff Kenny Pickett's adjusting to. Like, mostly it's, this is really complicated how many looks a defense can give me. And I he just hasn't seen it all yet. And that's that's just reps. He's got to play more. He's got to get more stuff on film. It's all fixable. you got to be patient. With a young quarterback, a lot of, I think, the development process is you you play, you watch film, and go, oh, the safety's going to go there. Oh, this. And as you, the more reps you get, the more stuff you see on film, and the more you, time you spend watching NFL football, especially film of your own self, you know, and going against defenses, you learn, here's what defenses are doing, and you just develop your, like, your brain becomes like a codex of NFL defenses and looks and schemes. And eventually, a couple years in, you've seen everything, and you're never caught off guard, and you're always on top of it. But Kenny Pickett's in the process right now of learning every different little look a defense can give him, and it just takes time. Um, I want to add one thing, though. It's, I, I do not understand why everybody is so critical of Pittsburgh Steelers offensive coordinator Matt Canada. People are regularly calling for Matt Canada to be fired. My number one point, kind of as an aside, would be he's really not bad. I don't understand why he's, what makes Matt Canada so terrible. I don't get that, but that's another thing altogether. The main point I want you to hear is this. Do you really want, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, their first round pick, Kenny Pickett, their young quarterback, do you actually want Kenny Pickett to be learning a whole new offense going into next year? You want him to learn two offenses in two years? That's a terrible idea. I'm sorry. Like, aside from the fact that I don't think Matt Canada's really bad, the other thing is you got to factor in the development of your young quarterback. I just think it's a terrible idea to pull the rug out from under Kenny Pickett going into year two and make him learn a whole new offense. I just, I cannot understand what kind of insane person think that's a good idea. It's not Madden. You you don't just, it's not easy to learn an NFL playbook and get all the nuances of it. And right as he would be at the beginning of really understanding Matt Canada's offense, you're going to make him learn a whole new one. I, I do not understand at all the conversation about firing Matt Canada. I don't get it. I don't agree with it. It makes no sense to me. I think you're stuck with him, at least for the next year and a half. Like, you got Matt Canada. He's running. I think if after year two with Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett's been in the NFL for a while, he's comfortable I would say, hey, if he needs to learn a new offense and Matt Canada's not good enough, fair enough. But I, I cannot imagine how terrible of an idea it is for him to have two systems in two years in the NFL. You want to destroy Kenny Pickett's development right off the bat? That's what you do. And I, I just, hey, you people out there who want to fire Matt Canada, I think it's a terrible idea and you're desperately wrong. Good luck to you. But I, not very many quarterbacks succeed in the NFL when you make them learn two offenses in two years. Don't we say that all the time? How many head coaches did this guy have in this many years? How many offenses did he have to learn in this many years? You're making life even more difficult for him if you do that. Um, and I think you want to give Kenny Pickett a really good chance to become a franchise quarterback. By the way, I think Kenny Pickett's just getting started. I thought he looked really good on Monday night. Again, big fourth quarter drive, a lot of good decisions, a lot of little stuff to clean up, but... No turnovers, a pretty clean football game. He extended some plays. He ran around a couple times. I really like what I see from Kenny Pickett. You just got to be patient. I know Pittsburgh Steelers fans are a little bit, 
I don't mean this as a slap in the face, but you guys have been spoiled for years. You've had Ben Roethlisberger, a Hall of Fame quarterback, for years and years and years. I know it's been a while since you saw your team really struggle. You had Mason Rudolph. Dude, try telling me Kenny Pickett is worse than Mason Rudolph ever was as a Steelers quarterback. I, I just, I don't get it. I don't know why people are in such a hurry to discard this young guy. He, he's making leaps and strides and playing well, and I thought Monday night was a really big victory for him. So, Kenny Pickett's career is just starting in the NFL. Uh, Colts quarterback Matt Ryan is at the end of his career. And I feel bad for Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan isn't garbage. He's not a horrible quarterback. But I just don't know that there's a place for Matt Ryan in the NFL anymore. Matt Ryan had two turnovers, an interception, uh, and what counted as a fumble was really just a you know, screwed up handoff. He tried to hand it off. That counts as a fumble for Matt Ryan. But either way, two turnovers on the day for Matt. And I I cannot imagine Matt Ryan wants to be a backup in the NFL. He's super rich. He's made a lot of money in his career. He probably wants to spend time with his family. I'd imagine being a backup isn't worth it to him. Like the money you would make, the time commitment compared to spending time with your children and your family. I think Matt Ryan's going to retire after this year, and I think that's probably right. It's not that Matt Ryan couldn't still play, I think, on a really good football team. I think if you, if you put Matt Ryan on the Dallas Cowboys, I think he'd do really well. I think he could win some games probably in New York with the Jets even. But there's too many talented young quarterbacks out there. It doesn't make sense for any NFL team to screw around and waste time with Matt Ryan. And the Colts' offensive line is really, really struggling. They are becoming a massive detriment to the Colts offense. They also don't have a ton of talented receiver. They got Michael Pittman Jr., who's a deep threat, but there are times where Matt Ryan tries to run around and extend plays, and basically nothing good ever happens. He had like a really good run earlier this year where he could have gone out of bounds. He went back inside and it was awesome. Like I Matt Ryan's trying, man, but Often when he runs around, he looks like a dinosaur and he can't extend plays. And I, I saw him take a sack this week where he's trying to extend a play. He probably should throw it away, get sacked. They lose yards. It really hurts their drive. I think what Indy really needs is a quarterback who can run around and extend plays. I think that would be the most valuable thing they could have right now. I think above I, – I cannot say – I don't think Will Levis is a good idea for the Colts to, to draft. I think they need a guy who has the ability to run. Um you need a quarterback who can extend plays and be explosive to pick up the slack because your offensive line is going to struggle to protect your quarterback and your receivers aren't amazing. So it, I think playing backyard football and running around and keeping plays alive and allowing receivers to run open in the second half of the play is a great idea for the Colts. Um, I just think straight up Justin Fields, for example, would do a lot more with a talent in Indy than Matt Ryan can because Matt Ryan can't run around. He can't extend plays. There are times where he sees what he wants to do. He, he tries to extend a play, and it's there, but he's just not a good enough athlete to do it, and it's kind of heartbreaking. So for me, the story of Monday Night Football, aside from there was a horrible sequence in the third quarter where, gosh, the, the Steelers are kicking a field goal. The Colts, no, no, sorry. The Colts are kicking a field goal. The Steelers jump off sides. That gave... Uh, India first down. Then on third and goal later in the drive, Minka Fitzpatrick got called for a penalty. That extended the drive again. They gave the Colts the ball on the one-yard line, first and goal. And then on first and goal, that fumble happened where Matt Ryan botched a handoff. Ball gets on, gets on the turf. The Steelers get the ball. 
for both sides of the football game, it was that sequence in the third quarter was terrible for everybody to have, you know, a, a penalty on a field goal, then give them another chance after getting a stop on third and goal. Then for the Colts to have opportunity after opportunity to get no points because they fumble on first and goal from the one yard line. Not good football there. But the overlying story from Monday Night Football was Kenny Pickett is at the beginning. And there's some good stuff going on for Kenny Pickett with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then unfortunately, Matt Ryan is at the end of a good career. It's 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 heartbreaking to watch a guy that I grew up loving and admiring and I think still can play a little bit. There's just not really room for Matt Ryan anymore. I thought the same thing happened to Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers could have still played. But he got kind of elbowed out by Carson Wentz and whatever was going on. And it's just the sad reality that there's such a overwhelming amount of quarterback talent in general right now. And there's so many young quarterbacks who I think could play next year in the NFL. A guy's like, I, dude, Adrian Martinez at Kansas State is really raw, but he's like a third-round pick that I think if you put him in on the Colts offense, could run around and make some stuff happen. Uh, Jaden Daniels, not perfect, but he can run. Like there, There's enough talent out there that it doesn't make sense for a football team to waste time with an older guy like Matt Ryan who doesn't have the physical skill set necessary to run around and extend plays. And it's sad, uh, but it's true. I think, you know, the sun is setting on Matt Ryan's career. How about this one? On Sunday, Tampa lost to Cleveland 23-17 in overtime. And single Brady finally lost. Uh, it's the first time Tom Brady has lost since his divorce Tampa's now 5-6. and six. Somehow still, by the way, the Buccaneers are first in the NFC South. They're kind of limping their way to a playoff appearance. There's a big game uh, this weekend. You know, they play, they host the Saints. I believe it's Monday Night Football, and that's a massive game because uh, if they win, they're going to keep their position at the top of the NFC South, but they got to keep it going. I might have said NFC West earlier. I meant NFC South. Anyway, um, I do want to say an underrated story from this game, by the way as Cleveland beats Tampa in overtime. Jacoby Brissett won in his final game, filling in for Deshaun Watson as the Browns quarterback. And he used to be Tom Brady's backup in New England. So it had to be cool for Jacoby Brissett to beat Tom Brady. On top of that, uh, Jacoby Brissett had a really sweet block on a long Nick Chubb touchdown run. I'm happy for Jacoby Brissett. I thought he did well. Um, I thought he... Showed himself to be a, a pretty solid quarterback this year. Not great, not amazing, but um, he took the opportunity that Cleveland allowed him and played, you know, for 11 games and did the best he could. And I, I just tip my hat cap to uh, Jacoby Brissett for the admirable effort filling in uh, as the Browns quarterback. Now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense simply wasn't productive enough in this football game. They only scored seven points in the second half. Zero points in the fourth quarter. They had the ball multiple times in overtime, and they could not score. And the key to why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are struggling is they're simply unable to execute their assignments on the offensive line. We're talking screens. We're talking pass protection. We're talking the running game. On top of that, they're getting penalties. It's everything. The main problem with Tampa Bay's offense is their offensive line. They had five punts in the fourth quarter in overtime. It's not good. And that's something you can look for the rest of the year with the Buccaneers is their limiting factor right now is everyone wants to blame Tom Brady. The obvious thing is Tom Brady's old. Physically, he's still got it. And Tom Brady didn't forget how to play football 
but the offensive line is making it really, really difficult to, and nearly impossible for them to succeed. Um, it was a, a question mark going into the year for Tampa, and it's clearly become a massive, massive problem for the Buccaneers. Their offensive line simply is not good enough to win. Uh, at least not consistently and probably not win a Super Bowl. Like, can you imagine a game with Tampa's offensive line against the Dallas Cowboys front seven? That That's a terrifying thought. They're going to get destroyed if that game ever happens. I, I don't know the rest of the schedule for the Buccaneers, but if they meet in the playoffs, for example, oh boy, <laughs> oh, what a nightmare matchup for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's also worth noting, on Sunday, the Washington Commanders beat Atlanta 19-13. to It was another win for Taylor Heineke, their starting quarterback. It was also another kind of average game for him. He was 14 for 23 passing, only 138 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He's not an impressive quarterback. Taylor Heineke is not. However, he does just enough to win basically every week, and it's working. Washington is winning games, and the team ran for 176 yards. It was kind of an old-school game where both teams, Atlanta and Washington, ran the ball more times than they threw. Commanders running back Brian Robinson had 18 carries for 105 yards, and Washington won again. They're now 7-5. and five. I like this story, man. I think that there's great value with Taylor Heineke. It's a part of the game that isn't talked about enough, uh, is just that, I, you know— We'll get into it in a minute, but I really like a team that can find a way to pay a quarterback less and still win and get good enough from their quarterback. And I I just think that that's a cool story there with a team that is committed to Taylor Heineke, at least for the rest of this year, and it's clearly working. Uh, By the way, there's some bad news for Atlanta. Their tight end, Kyle Pitts, is out for the year. He got surgery on Tuesday to repair the MCL in his right knee. It's a shame. He's a former first-round pick. And I really just do not like the way Atlanta used him this year. I I thought they used him poorly. He had really low production this year, 28 catches, 356 yards, only two touchdowns. It's really disappointing, and it's not his fault. And and by the way, I don't play fantasy football. I think I'm going to try next year for the first time and do a whole series about it. But I feel bad for people who drafted Kyle Pitts this year because he's way more talented than the numbers he put up. I just think it's on the Falcons' offense being inept and poorly designed. And I I actually kind of hate Atlanta's offense. I blame it on their head coach, Arthur Smith. I actually said this before. When he was in Tennessee as the offensive coordinator, I remember saying this Titans football team needs to develop their passing game. It's holding them back. And then somehow that offensive coordinator got a job as a head coach in Atlanta. I don't know what the how that happened. I thought he was struggling then. Now, again in Atlanta, the offense is just not good throwing the football. I get it. He loves to run the ball, and that's awesome. But um, they've got, at least they had, some really awesome receiving weapons that were used really, really poorly in Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Now Kyle Pitts is out for the year, and it's just a shame. And I, and I go back to this. Arthur Smith really, really poorly used Kyle Pitts, and it's, uh, frankly, very, very irritating to watch and say. All right, I need to I need to clear my throat, and then I need to say something. Give me one second. All right, we're back. Now, I rarely agree 
When a team decides to pay their quarterback hundreds of millions of dollars, most quarterbacks are simply not worth that much money, in my opinion. And I'm a quarterback guy. I love quarterbacks. Um, I want to just say some crazy numbers that are real and true. And um, I, I think I'll start with a really... Uh, my opinion, which is that I would say Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray have by far the most ridiculous and absurd contracts in the NFL right now. But here's what I mean. Here are the, the numbers of it. This offseason, Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray signed a five-year, $230 million contract extension. That's $189.5 million guaranteed. The Cardinals right now, what's their record? They're 4 and 8 Oh, wow. So glad you paid him. It sure paid off. You're eight and four. Oh, oh, you're not eight and four. You're four and eight. You're losing. It's horrible. Now, this offseason, another big, I mean, there were a lot of big contracts thrown around this year, but another one that's insanely bad is Denver Broncos quarterback, Russell Wilson. Not only did he get traded to Denver for two first round picks, which are both going to Seattle, which, oh man, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, Denver also gave Russell Wilson a five-year extension worth $245 million. That's $165 million fully guaranteed for Russell Wilson. Um, I guess it's $165 million guaranteed. It can't be fully guaranteed because that would be the entire contract. So my point is Denver gave Russ hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, it's insane to me. And right now, Denver is awful. They're three and eight. They're one of the worst offenses in the NFL. In fact, it's insane. They're scoring the fewest points per game in the NFL. The Broncos offense has the worst, you know, points per games uh, scoring right now. They're scoring 14.3 points per game, which is abysmal. Denver's defense on the other side is the third best defense when it comes to points per game in the NFL, only giving up 17.6 points per game. So the defense is doing their job. They're one of the third best defenses in the league, but the offense is abysmal and holding them back. That is why Denver is three and eight. And I want to give a shout out to my man, Garrett on TikTok. Garrett, I don't know your last name. You sent me a message once. Pretty dang cool. I love your TikToks. My friend and I send him, my friend, Sean, we send it to him back and forth all the time. Look what Garrett posted. It's awesome. Garrett on TikTok is keeping track of Russell Wilson's stats in a hilarious way. He pointed out that Russell Wilson has 12 bathrooms in his house and every week he goes what's the number of bathrooms in the house <gasps> it's unchanged still at 12 which I, I love the theater of it it's really fun uh and then <laughs> this year so far russell wilson has only thrown for eight touchdown passes which is like I, it's unfathomable that he has that many bathrooms in his house and can't even reach that number it's kind of hilarious and funny it's just a great fun thing garrett every week tracks the comparison look it up it's hilarious and i i love it like so much it's such a good idea um now, Russ not getting the job done, and it's getting awkward and painful. You're watching interviews with Russell Wilson, and it's like, I can't imagine how this man has confidence right now. And it's he's being criticized so much. He always gives great answers. Russell Wilson is like a public relations robot. It's absolutely, that's what we should call him. He's a PR robot. That's Russell Wilson. 
He's dangerous, all right. He's dangerous at, I don't even know what I'm going to say here. He's just, he gives amazing answers and it's, it's totally fake and it's phony, but what, what are you supposed to say? He, he lies to the media every day saying, I got a ton of confidence. I got a great relationship with my locker room friends. I don't mind that I get criticized and destroyed in the media every day. And maybe he really doesn't because he's super, super rich and got an amazing wife and a house with 12 bathrooms. I don't even have one. I live in a truck. <laughs> I had to go pee at Target earlier. So me and Russ, very different places in life. Good for Russell Wilson, I guess. But um, I can't imagine it's fun to get this much criticism. And I, I almost, I feel bad for Russell Wilson. It's painful and weird. And, and it's just every time he gives an interview, I, I just, I feel bad for him. Like, and I, I, I hope what he's saying is true. I hope he really hasn't, you know, lost all confidence, yada, yada, yada. I see in his eyes like a dead man. And I'm like, I, I, you just don't look happy at all. And I, you're smiling on the outside. On the inside, it's like you're deeply sad and crying. And it's, it's weird and awful. Uh, so, Russ, it's not going well. Kyler Murray has been criticized a ton. I have called out Kyler Murray as a bad leader. It's not a, it's not a new thing to say Kyler Murray's not a very good leader. I think many, many times we've seen in critical moments... He's done a terrible job of encouraging and uplifting his teammates around him. And his former teammate, Patrick Peterson, called him out. I want to pull up a screenshot uh, on a podcast. It's the All Things Covered podcast, which Kyler Murray makes it clear he wants us to talk about this podcast because, um, well, uh, you'll hear in a minute. Uh, Patrick Peterson, former teammate of Kyler Murray, said, Kyler Murray doesn't care about anybody but Kyler Murray. Uh, and Kyler Murray responded with, <clears throat> hear me out. Kyler Murray said this on Twitter. This isn't true. You want some weird sh- 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 P2, Patrick Peterson. Uh, you got my number. If you really felt like this as a, quote, big bro or mentor, you're supposed to call me and tell me, not drag me so your podcast can grow. And hey, Kyler Murray kind of checkmated him. I'm not going to lie. That's a great dig. Basically, he said, you gave the quote to get attention on your podcast, which, not entirely wrong! I don't blame it! Hey, you got a story about a really... I, I, I don't know. Like, it's a weird world where you can't give your opinion. I, I don't really know what to say here, but I will say... <clears throat> Patrick Peterson isn't wrong. Um, the shoe fits. Kyler Murray comes across like a guy who doesn't seem to care about anybody but himself. The way he begged for a contract, the way he treats the locker room, the way he's sullen and not encouraging on the sideline, it's not good. And there's a great clip of him from Hard Knocks where he's arguing with DeAndre Hopkins. And again, publicly, all these players deny, deny, deny. But it's hard not to watch it and go, there's something wrong there. Like, it's not going well in Arizona. They're losing. It's bad. And I just want to comment on this Patrick Peterson quote because... Both guys are right, actually. I think Patrick Peterson kind of did him dirty. Like, you know, hey, I, there are people I have dirt on that I would never call out because it's not fair. It's not cool. It's your friends. But clearly there's not a great relationship there. And Patrick Peterson was willing to burn their friendship for attention. And I, I think Kyler's right. Hey, you said it to get attention for your podcast. Again, the All Things Covered podcast by Patrick Peterson and someone else. I don't know the other guy's name, but Patrick Peterson, All Things Covered podcast. That's what the objective was. Let's let's just do it. Let's lean into it. But while Kyler Murray's right, so is Patrick Peterson. They can both be right. Uh, and Kyler comes across as a monumentally ineffective leader. It's not good. And I I think part of why this 
quote from Patrick Peterson got so much attention is because it seems like there's truth to it. This is a guy who played with Kyler Murray, was on the same team with him. His opinion has a lot more weight than mine, and it doesn't seem wrong. So I think both are true. I think Patrick Peterson did Kyler Murray dirty, and Patrick Peterson's probably right about Kyler Murray. Now, here are some crazy, absurd numbers. Russell Wilson's average salary is $48.5 million. His team record right now is 3-8. Abysmal. Kyler Murray's average yearly salary is $46.1 million. His team right now, 4-8. Denver's 3-8. Arizona's 4-8. They're playing, they're paying their quarterbacks an average of over $46 million a year. That's absurd. How about this for a crazy contrast? It's not fair. Here's what I want to say here. I'm going to jump numbers on you. This is not a critical analysis. I don't really even have a point. I don't want you to read into my numbers like a crazy way. I'm just going to say stuff and you can come to your own conclusions. And, and I, it, this is not scientific. Criticize my method. I, I don't really know. I'm just saying numbers. Okay. We agree. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm a dumb idiot, but I'm saying numbers to you that are totally accurate. The Eagles are 10 and one right now. Their quarterback, Jalen Hurts, average salary is $1.5 million. This year, Jalen Hurts is making $1.6 million. He's 10 and 1. Kyler's 4 and 8. Russell Wilson's 3 and 8. Geno Smith in Seattle. Seattle's 6 and 5. Geno Smith is making $3.5 million this year. The Dolphins are 8 and 3. Their quarterback, Tua, is got an average salary of $7.5 million. This year, Tua is making $8.2 million. Washington is 7-5. and five. They're winning with their quarterback, Taylor Heineke. I don't know how. It's like barely every week they do enough. Taylor Heineke is making $3.6 million. Uh, I, these are skewed numbers. It's not fair. Like, you know, rookie contracts and a quarterback who proved himself a lot this year, but really no one believed in going into the year, Geno Smith. Like, I'm, it makes sense why Kyler and Russ make more than Geno and Tua and Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying they shouldn't make more based on what they've done in their career, but I, I, I can't fathom a world where it's 40. How was Russell Wilson in any metric ever 40 times more valuable than Jalen hurts? I'm not saying based on the past and based on circumstance, Jalen hurts is, you know, on a rookie contract, Russell's won a Super Bowl, done a lot in his career, having a bad year this year, but going in, it makes sense why Russ makes more money than Jalen. I get it. But the quarterback market is so broken and so weird where we overpay quarterbacks so much in the NFL. And I I don't get it. I think Patrick Mahomes is worth an absurd amount of money. I think Josh Allen is also worth an absurd amount of money. Uh, probably Joe Burrow, too. Joe Burrow is great for his franchise. Um... Lamar's in the conversation, but there's almost nobody in the NFL I would say is worth $40 million at the quarterback position. I think Josh Allen, I think Patrick Mahomes, and that's about it right now. We can talk about Joe Burrow maybe, but I think Joe Burrow is more valuable at $25 million given his skill set than 40 And I think NFL teams need to start wising up. I, I just, this formula of massively overpaying your quarterback, Joe Flacco, Jared Goff, 
Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, it doesn't work. I don't understand Aaron Rodgers. How many Super Bowls has Aaron Rodgers made recently? Or won recently? But he's making like $40 million a year. Congratulations. They're horrible. Why? Why? I, I guess I know why. It's because winning isn't the objective here. It's attention and money and profit. And you pay a quarterback a lot of money. You sell a lot of jerseys. You build up hype. I get it. But it, it just doesn't work. And I, I really like... There is a, a happy middle ground here somewhere. I don't, it's, I would pay happily a lot of quarterbacks, $25 million a year. That's a very, it's a high amount. It's a fair amount. And I like it. 40 is crazy. Almost all the time. I, I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't even know why. I guess I know why quarterbacks want it, but you cripple the rest of your team. You make it really hard to win when you're making $40 million a year. Like you can't pay other people on your football team. And I, if I live in Florida, Making $25 million a year. I don't need 40 Make 25 And then you can pay teammates and I, we can win more. That sounds more fun to me. So um, I think it's really, really smart when NFL teams use a quarterback on a rookie contract and then build a crazy good team loaded with talent around that quarterback. That is how a lot of teams have reached Super Bowls in recent years. And I don't know. I, again, my numbers are skewed. It's unfair. Rookie contracts against a guy who's like, 34 you can't you can't accurately truly compare Jalen Hurts to Russell Wilson but I say this to explain to you I I just hate how overpaid quarterbacks are in the NFL it's really ridiculous how much more they make than ever other people on their same football team like dude you make 40 million and your backup center makes the league minimum and that's not uncomfortable and weird I I don't know it makes no sense to me and I just really, really, really think that it's never going to make sense to me to pay a quarterback like $40 million a year. It's just an absurd amount of money. And the system right now has created a scenario where Jalen Hurts is playing maybe at an NFL MVP level, is paid less than 40 times what Russell Wilson makes. How is that a good system? I don't, I don't do, do whatever you want with that information. I just, I had to get it out of me. I don't, it's not even going to be a breakout on the show. I just wanted to talk about it. The absurd amount of money quarterbacks are making and how it's clearly possible to win paying a quarterback less. Um, I want to see Jalen Hurts get a, a long-term contract. I, I would love to see Jalen Hurts take $20 million a year. It's a very fair, reasonable amount of money. But I, I, I would not pay Jalen Hurts even... At an MVP level, $40 million. That's crazy to me. And I, I just, man, I, I get it. Get your bag, make as much money as humanly possible. But oh, the quarterback market is totally broken. Here's another uh, thing we, I want to talk about. Here's a crazy thing we have to acknowledge. If the NFL draft was today, right now, the Detroit Lions would have the number three overall pick in the NFL draft and the 13th overall pick, 13th overall pick based on what they're doing. And the Lions have got the third overall pick from the Rams in that Jared Goff trade. The Rams are three and eight. They're playing for absolutely nothing. A bunch of the Rams star players are hurt. Matthew Stafford, their quarterback, strained neck and concussions. Cooper Cup, their star receiver, got ankle surgery. Aaron Donald, their star defensive tackle, has got a high ankle sprain. I think all three of those guys, Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, and Cooper Cup could be out for the rest of the year. There's no reason to risk their long-term health when the season is basically lost. And Detroit is going to benefit from that. Again, if the draft was today, 
the Lions would have the number three overall pick and the number 13 overall pick. And that's really good for a Lions team that's starting to figure things out and make good moves. And if they're smart, they could add two really good players next year to make their team even better for next year. Now, here's an even more absurd and crazy one. The Philadelphia Eagles are 10-1 and one right now. They've got two first-round picks. Uh, they're, they've got the best record in the NFL. So their own Eagles draft pick is going to be a late first-round pick. It's just, right now, if the draft was today, they'd have the 32nd overall pick because they got the best record in the league. They have to win the Super Bowl in order for that to stay 32nd overall. We'll see what happens. But they also, Philadelphia has the first-round pick of the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints are terrible. And if the draft was today, Philly would have the number six overall pick, which is absolutely crazy that they are 10-1, and one, best record in the NFL, and have the number six overall pick in this upcoming NFL draft. Wild to me. And I want to give a shout-out and a tip of the cap to Eagles general manager Howie Roseman. He built a team so good, by the way, that they won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles at quarterback. And really the only shortcoming I, I can find in the past for Howie Roseman is he's historically not been great at drafting receivers. Remember, he drafted the most painful one is Jalen Rager ahead of Justin Jefferson. Can you imagine if the Eagles had Justin Jefferson right now? That's a bad pick. They also drafted J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Didn't work out very well. Um, but what is crazy is that Philly's 10-1. and they make great move after great move in, the, in free agency and trading and yada yada. And now, on top of being the best record in the NFL 10-1, and one, Philly also has the number six overall pick, which is absurd and insane that they're going to add another great player in the draft, which is just, it's, it's wild and unfathomable. And that could get better, by the way. If New Orleans does worse the rest of the year, that's going to be an even higher draft pick. At one point, that was the fourth overall pick for Philadelphia. Can you imagine if the Eagles have a top five pick and win the Super Bowl? Like, what? I don't know what's going to happen, but that's a crazy reality that is totally possible. Now, on top of that, the Denver Broncos are awful. They're three and eight. Uh, their first round pick goes to Seattle because of the Russell Wilson trade. Seattle's six and five right now. At one point, they were leading the NFC West. They're still in contention. Currently, Seattle, a good football team, also has the number four overall pick in next year's NFL draft. That's crazy to me and awesome. And a team that very well is probably going to be a playoff team currently has a top five pick in the NFL draft. Well done, Seattle. That, that Russell Wilson trade and contract is going to haunt Denver for years and years and years. Now, I want to give a shout out to tankathon.com. They're not a sponsor. I just love them. They're a good resource. Um, they track the draft order, and according to them, this is the top six in the NFL draft right now if the draft was today. The number one overall pick today would be the Houston Texans. They need it. They need a quarterback. They would draft Bryce Young, I would imagine, out of Alabama. The number two overall pick is crazy. It's Chicago, the Bears. They have Justin Fields, a promising, awesome young quarterback. The future is bright in Chicago, and with the number two overall pick, they can really draft a great player to make their team even better, which I, I love. Maybe draft an offensive lineman, or maybe it's better off to draft a weapon at receiver. I don't really know, but and as long as it helps Justin Fields win games, I'm all for it, and it's actually great. The Bears have no incentive to win the rest of the year. They found out we got the right quarterback. Let's 
maybe keep him on the sideline as much as possible. He's been banged up. Let's let's just, I don't know. I, I'm not saying the Bears should tank, but I am saying that losing games does help Chicago for next year. The number third overall pick today would be the Detroit Lions from the Rams. That's crazy. They're a team that's going to have, you know, uh, two first-round picks in the top 15 of the draft. Most likely, that's awesome for them. A great way for the Lions to continue to build their franchise. And the Lions, by the way, already are headed in a good direction that I really like. So I, good for them. The number fourth overall pick would be Seattle from Denver. That's wild. That's another good football team with a top five pick. Uh, the number five overall pick today would be Carolina, who, gosh, what the heck is Carolina going to do? They're probably going to draft Will Levis from Kentucky, and he's going to be not great, and it's going to be another disappointing couple of years for Carolina, to be totally honest. That's what I imagine is going to happen. The number six overall pick is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles if the draft happened today from the New Orleans Saints. And again, it's absurd. They're 10-1, and one, best record in football, and right now a top six pick in the NFL draft. All right, uh, I got a couple more things to talk about. Last weekend was rivalry weekend in college football. Uh, there's a couple games I still have not talked about yet. So number one, I want to give a shout out to the Oregon State Beavers fans out there. I know you're out there, and I know last weekend was a really, really fun weekend for you. Oregon State beat Oregon 38-34, to and the way things went down was absolutely crazy. With five minutes left in the third quarter, Oregon actually led this game 31 to 10. Oregon State was down three touchdowns late in the third quarter. And then Oregon State made a wild comeback and Oregon State won 38 to 34. And by the way, Oregon State did not do this throwing the football. Oregon State completed only six passes all game long and yet Oregon won. It was insanity. Oregon State ran for 268 yards in this football game. They only threw for 60. And it was a total collapse by the Oregon Ducks. Oregon had a, they bobbled a snap at a punt. Uh, that led to an Oregon State ball on the one-yard line, gave them a really short field. I mean, literally, Oregon State just ran and ran and ran and ran. And there was a sequence in the second half where they ran the ball 13 times in a row across four drives and got four touchdowns. One of those drives was, again, a one-yard touchdown drive on a short field. But they, they just ran the football like and obliterated Oregon, uh, the Ducks. And it's just a cool win for Oregon State. It's a great upset, a awesome memory for Beavers fans. And as a result of the loss now, here's the great pain for Oregon. Utah is going to go to the Pac-12 title game and play USC rather than Oregon. If Oregon, the Ducks had won, they'd be in the Pac-12 title game. Instead, instead, it's going to be Utah. And, uh, oh man, what a, like, that's, I can't imagine a sweeter way to beat your in-state rival than kind of ruin the end of their year and have a massive comeback and surprise a lot of people. Like, just really, really happy for Beavers fans out there. Duck fans can be really aggressive and kind of, kind of arrogant and I know you guys have had your head down for a while. It's been hard to watch the Ducks win and win and win, and I'm sure this one felt really, really good over in Corvallis. Now, I want to give a recommendation. Washington beat Washington State in the Apple Cup last weekend, 51-33. to And if you didn't watch this game, I watched it live. It was fun for, like, 
three and a half quarters. Um, if you haven't watched this game, at least go watch the highlights because, you know, Washington's quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., threw for 485 yards, three touchdowns. He also ran for two touchdowns. Washington's offense had over 700 yards of total offense. That's absurd to me. Uh, Cam Ward, the quarterback for Washington State, threw for 322 yards, two touchdowns. He had a crazy touchdown on a fourth and 10 where uh, he, like, escaped the sack and threw and is awesome. It was just a really fun, close game until UW pulled away in the fourth quarter. And if you like offense, go watch this football game. Find a way, whether you watch the replay or the highlights or something, go watch a bit of this football game because Washington, Washington State was just a gem and, and really fun. And I just, I'm telling you, if you like offensive football, it was like watching a, two people play NCAA against each other on their Xbox. It was like, this is a, just a fun, high-scoring game, and I, I loved watching it. Um, another awesome game last weekend in college football was South Carolina beating their in-state competition, Clemson. South Carolina beat Clemson 31-30. to Clemson going into this game was 10-1 and and the number eight team in the country. It was the second big win in a row for South Carolina. They beat Tennessee. Then they beat Clemson back-to-back at the end of the year. South Carolina quietly finished the year 8-4, and four, by the way. Really good for Shane Beamer, their head coach. Well done by him. And Spencer Rattler, the starting quarterback for South Carolina, finished the year really strong. And I, I thought the receivers played outstanding. Like, making big-time catches. And, um, you know, I also, it wasn't all perfect. Like, Clemson actually started out with a 14-0 lead in this game. Early on, on the second drive of the game, Spencer Rattler threw a really bad pick six. And he fought back. He he ended up playing really well in the end in spite of a slow start and came back and won, which I love. So I just, you know, I'm I'm really rooting for Spencer Rattler. I think he's putting himself in a good position where he had a good end of the year. You go to a bowl game, you're eight and four, and you can really springboard off of what happened at the end of the year into next year and have a really good senior year at South Carolina and put yourself in position to be a first-round pick in the NFL. Dude, well done Spencer Rattler. Uh, that's That was the goal this year for Spencer Rattler, was make a name for yourself, play well, position yourself where eventually there's still a future for you to be a first-round pick. And I thought Spencer Rattler, despite kind of an up-and-down roller coaster year, ended the year in a position where, oh, hey, the NFL world is starting to go, this kid can play, he's got talent, he's turning things around. Let's see how next year goes. And all things considered, after losing your job at Oklahoma, having to transfer out, going to a not a great program in South Carolina who's building. That's a pretty good outcome to the year for Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. It's worth noting, by the way, uh, Clemson quarterback DJ Uyungle and their loss to South Carolina, 31-30. to DJ Uyungle was awful. And I... It, it makes me unhappy to say this because he's, he's shown moments of really good talent. I think DJ's problem is mental. I think he struggles with confidence and this and that. He was eight for 29 passing with 99 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, DJ did run for 51 yards and a touchdown, but I just maintain that um, Clemson is too good of a program to be held back this way by a quarterback. A DJ Uyunglele is not good enough. Clemson needs a new quarterback. Last college game. LSU lost to Texas A&M 38-23. It was weird. You know, LSU plays Georgia this weekend in the SEC title game. And it seemed like LSU was really building towards something. You know, if they'd won this game, they'd be 10-2. And 
this game was ugly. They were they were gaining steam and they just kind of fell flat on their face. At one point, Texas A&M led this game 38 to 17. And it was just a surprising ugly loss for LSU. You know, um I I just was really excited. I'm like, "Hey, you know, it's things are going well and uh, I I thought maybe like maybe this team can actually challenge Georgia." And then they have a falter like this and you just are like, "I don't know what to expect now from LSU." this weekend in the SEC title game. Uh, Now, by the way, shout out to Texas A&M running back, Devon A-Chain. Best name in football, and he's actually a pretty good player. He ran 38 times for 215 yards and two touchdowns against LSU. Well done. Devon A-Chain, you are a stud running back, and I love, love, love saying that name at Texas A&M. Here are the college football playoff rankings after last weekend. Number one is Georgia. Number two is Michigan. Makes sense. They're both undefeated. Number three is TCU. They're also undefeated, and currently they're the three team in the country. USC has got one loss. They're the number four team in the country. Number five, after losing to Michigan, is Ohio State. Uh, I feel bad saying this, but I, I do hope that Kansas State will beat TCU in the Big 12 title game because I want Ohio State in the playoff. I think Ohio State has got a better chance to be competitive Georgia, Michigan, USC, and Ohio State would be a lot of fun. Georgia, Ohio State in the first round would be awesome. Michigan against USC would be really fun. Winner plays each other in a national title game. That's a top four I want, and the top four I envision doesn't include TCU. He's had an admirable, great year, but I worry would get absolutely obliterated by a team in the college football playoff. Although, hey, if they make it in, I am I am rooting for them to prove me wrong. I would love to see that. I, I love to be wrong about stuff like that because I it's a great story. They're a little engine that could. They've had a great year, but it's been a lot of unconvincing wins and really close nail biters, which are awesome, but makes me think they're more like Cincinnati the year they went to the playoff than, or, or Notre Dame but got destroyed by Alabama than they are a truly great competitive team that can be uh, competing at that top level. Now, um, here are five major college coaching changes that were made in the last week. Number one, Nebraska hired Matt Rule to be their head coach. In the past, Matt Rule has been a really good or really successful college football head coach. In four years, he took Temple from 2-10 and ten to 10-3. Ten, ten losses to 10 wins. In three years coaching at Baylor, he took Baylor from 1-11 and 11 to 11 and 3. 11 losses to 11 wins in the span of three years. Matt Rule has shown the ability to turn around college programs. And that said, in his most recent job, I thought Matt Rule was pretty terrible. I like Matt Rule as a person. Friends of mine, I've worked with him. Other friends of mine have worked with him. I, I hear good and bad about Matt Rule. So it's, it's both ways. Um, but in his most recent job, Matt Rule was fired by the Carolina Panthers as their head coach. And he was 11 and 27 in less than three years. He had two five win seasons and then a one and four start this year. And he got canned. What's interesting about Matt rule is he took no break. Like right after being fired, he already has another job in college, which maybe he wanted that. I I don't, it's interesting though. There was no time to step back and evaluate and recover. It's just right back into coaching. And I, I get it, man. When you go through tragedy and hard loss, you, work often is an escape for me. I get it. Um, 
but it's also a bit worrisome. I'm very, very curious how Matt Rule is going to do at Nebraska. It, maybe his stuff only works in college. I mean, Nick Saban failed in the NFL. So did Lane Kiffin. Nebraska went four and eight this fall. They're in a bad place. We've seen Matt Rule take programs that are in a bad place and turn them around. I, I, maybe he can do the same thing at Nebraska. I, I'm excited for the opportunity to see him do that. Nebraska hasn't had a winning season since 2016. They've had six years of losing since that moment. Um, they got nothing to lose. I like Matt Rule as a human, actually. And despite my skepticism, I'm not really sure it's going to work or not. I think for Nebraska, not bad. Like, why not take a chance on Matt Rule? Let's see what can happen. It'd be, it'd be cool. And I, I am, I'm rooting for Matt Rule to turn things around in Nebraska, even if I'm not sure that he's going to. Um, but again, I go back to this. Maybe he's just a great college coach who doesn't work in the NFL, and that, that's very possible and has totally happened before. The number two hire I want to talk about is Kenny Dillingham has been hired as a new head coach at Arizona State. He was the Oregon Ducks offensive coordinator. He's from Arizona. He actually grew up there. He went to Arizona State. Kenny Dillingham was an offensive assistant there while he studied economics. Didn't play college football, was an econ major, loves the game, loves coaching. He's a really good offensive mind. Kenny Dillingham is only 32 years old, which is both good and bad, I think. Um, He's going to an Arizona State program that's got low expectations. I am curious how he does. I'm nervous about the age, but that feels unfair. He's clearly a really good offensive mind. I also think the benefit to being young is you can relate really well to the younger generation of players, which is awesome, and we've seen that work in the NFL really well. A lot of people are excited, and I don't know how to feel about this hire. I'm I'm excited to see what happens. It's a shot in the dark, which could work. He's never been a head coach before. That feels concerning. He's also young, but... Um, Many people that are close to the program and, and know Kenny Dillingham view this as a really great hire. So I'm, I remain optimistic, unsure of how to feel. Like, I, I don't know, but I, I'm excited to see if it works. And I, I certainly, I love to see a young guy get a cool opportunity. I think he's going to relate really well to players. He's a great offensive mind. And uh, I am very much rooting for Kenny Dillingham to do well at Arizona State. Now, number three, David Shaw has resigned after 12 years coaching at Stanford. David Shaw coached 150 games at Stanford. He went 96 and 54 in 12 years. That's incredible. Well done for David Shaw. He had back-to-back three and nine seasons and stepped down after that. I think you got to acknowledge David Shaw did incredible given how tough of a place Stanford is to coach. There's, you know, football is not at all a priority at Stanford. People are there to study, go to school. Class is number one. School is second. And I thought he did a, you know, class is also a great word to describe David Shaw, I guess, right? I've got a lot of respect for him. Um, I think he's probably going to broadcast and step back and do his own thing. I also think David Shaw, if he wants to, he probably doesn't, to be totally honest, but if he wants to, he could coach somewhere else and be really successful. He's a great coach, and former players that played for him really, really love him. Um, and I I think he's going to broadcast and kind of step back and hang out with his family, but I, I just want to say I admire the job he did at Stanford. Everybody who plays for him, I think of uh, KJ Cost- uh, Costello, who played for uh, him at Stanford, everyone who played there, 
speaks really, really highly of David Shaw. And KJ Costello transferred away to go play for Mike Leach and kind of lost his job to Davis Mills. Like, it's pretty rare that a player who leaves you still has got good things to say about you. That says a lot about David Shaw. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I transferred colleges and I would say a lot of good things about my head coach too. So I, I mean, it's not crazy rare, but I, you know, I also, I had a defensive head coach. I love the defensive head coach, the offensive coordinators who I had a problem with. Um, I'm a bitter old man. I don't know. I'm not really, I'm 25, but um, point is David Shaw, tip of the cap. I give you a salute. What a great career at Stanford. And um, I just can't overstate how hard it is to coach there. You're in California. No one cares about football. And uh, you're kind of doing the best you can to win with what you got. And it's uh, really impressive what he did in 150 games, going nine and 96 and 54 at Stanford. That's crazy. Number four, Luke Fickle has been hired by Wisconsin to be their new head coach. It's an exciting hire to me. Uh, Luke Fickle just spent six years coaching at Cincinnati. He went 63 and 25, including a 13 and one year where he took a non-power five team Cincinnati to the college football playoff. That's absolutely crazy. I am really excited for him. He's going to get a bigger, bigger budget at Wisconsin. And I think Luke Fickle and Wisconsin are a cool match for each other. They both benefit. He gets a bigger platform to do what he does and recruit better and have better facilities. Wisconsin's going to get some fresh ideas. And I, I think they desperately need that. I'm excited for that. And it's worth mentioning, you know, Luke Fickle did coach one year at Ohio State and people might hold that against him. He coached there in 2011. It wasn't an organic situation. He was hired there when you know, he got an emergency promotion, basically, when Jim Trussell got in trouble. He got, you know, he went six and seven in one year, then left the program. I don't, I don't, or at least he left, he wasn't a head coach after that. I just don't blame Luke Fickle based on that one year, six and seven at Ohio State. I just, it was an emergency hire in a weird situation. And it's just, if anyone still holds that against him, it's, it's really weird. Cause he's shown he's a really good coach and he did a lot of great stuff at Cincinnati. And uh, I am very, very excited to see what Luke Fickle can do at Wisconsin. Finally, number five, Auburn hired Hugh Freeze to be their new head coach. He was once the head coach at Ole Miss. Uh, he left Ole Miss in kind of a mess. Um, you know, recruiting violations, a two-year bull ban, scholarship reductions, probation for three years. He also used a university-issued phone, his work phone, to call a female escort service. That's a terrible look. He's kind of a Bible thumper, which is even more hypocritical and frustrating. Um, but Hugh Freeze has slowly worked his way back. And he spent four years coaching at Liberty He's had four winning seasons. He went three and three in bowl games. He coached Malik Willis, who is a top NFL quarterback draft pick. And um, not only a great quarterback, but ironically, he transferred away from Auburn to Liberty. Hugh Freeze is now going to Auburn. Uh, look, I feel like you got to say this about Hugh Freeze. And it, it's true. Hugh Freeze seems like a scumbag. I Come on, guys. It didn't end well at, at Miss, you know, Ole Miss at all. Um, but he's also won some games. In 2015, he won 10 games at Ole Miss. He beat Nick Saban and Alabama twice in five years. Um, seems like a scumbag, but he wins. And people, 
in the football world care more about results than character, it seems like. I.e., look at Deshaun Watson playing for the Cleveland Browns. I'm not trying to get on my high horse. I'm just saying, like, you know, um, and maybe he's going to have an easier time now that you can literally pay players in college football. So who knows, man? I don't love Hugh Freeze as a person, but, you know, it's awful, but this is true. He does make Auburn more interesting. He's beat Alabama and Nick Saban twice, and, you know, like, I love SEC football. I do. He makes the SEC more interesting. It's another good coach at a program with a lot of money to spend and, you know, that's desperate to win. Hugh Freeze seems like a massive scumbag, but he wins. And it does make the SEC and Auburn more interesting. Is it a deal with the devil? Probably, but hey, we'll see. I got an open mind. I always try to be fair, and it was years ago, and you make mistakes. Maybe he learned from it. I don't know. But again, it makes Auburn more interesting, and they they made this move, and um, results matter. If you win, people are willing to look the other way and um, overlook character flaws. Now, um, this is a massive weekend in the football world. College football has all of their conference title games. You know, Friday night it starts with a Pac-12 title game. USC is going to play Utah. Uh, USC is the number four ranked team in the country. It's very simple. If USC wins, they are in the college football playoff. They're 10-1. and one. The only loss by USC all year is actually to Utah. And it was the an incredible way that Utah beat USC earlier this year. One of my favorite games of the year. Utah went for two at the end of the game. They got the two-point conversion. They won by one point. You know, they could have tied it up and gone to overtime, but Utah said, we are going to control our own destiny. We're not going to go to overtime against Caleb Williams, who might be the Heisman Trophy winner in college football this year. Um, It's a great chance at revenge for USC to beat Utah. But it's also obvious that Utah can hang with USC. So I think Friday night, it's going to be an awesome game, a packed off title game. I'm telling you, Caleb Williams is like watching a video game character. The way he makes defenders look silly, runs around, and it's just Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in college football. He's explosive. He's crazy. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy, and uh, I guess that's a bit brash. It's Caleb Williams or Bryce Young. Like, it's a toss-up. They're both so close, I don't really care about the distinction. But uh, they're both going to be Heisman Trophy winners, I think, after this year. And uh, my goodness, watch this football game. It's going to be awesome. Saturday, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern time, is a Big 12 title game. K-State against TCU. TCU is 12-0. They're the number three team in the nation. Earlier in October, TCU beat K-State 28-38. Look, I respect and I love TCU. I've had fun watching their season. They're the little engine that could. However, I am rooting for K-State to beat TCU in this football game. It's very possible. They were competitive last time. And I want TCU to lose so that Ohio State can get into the college football playoff. I just think that Ohio State is a better team, in my opinion, and provides a better challenge for Georgia or whoever they're going to play. And so it's no hate against TCU. But it's a year that I wish they had an expanded playoff because I think it's a shame to leave Ohio State out. Uh, for TCU, even though TCU, if they go undefeated, you gotta, you gotta get let them in. So, I just wish there was an expanded college football playoff. It's been approved recently to have a new one in the future, but this year we don't. We only get four teams this year. 
And because we only get four, I would rather see Ohio State than TCU in the top four. Now, uh, Georgia plays LSU in the SEC title game. Georgia should win. If LSU upsets Georgia, that'd, that'd be pretty crazy. Um, it's Brian Kelly's first year coaching at LSU. If he can win on Saturday, he will have beat Alabama and Georgia, won 10 games, and be the SEC champion all in year one. And on top of that, if somehow LSU can upset Georgia, I don't even know how it would affect the college football playoff because do you have a – is one loss Georgia better than one loss USC? I would think so. Like, I, I don't know, man. It's crazy. I, I honestly – I'm rooting for LSU to beat Georgia. Not, not, I don't even know what I, I like chaos and I don't know what would happen if LSU beat Georgia. I think Georgia would still get in probably, but I, I want to see that decision have to get made. That'd be wild and interesting. So, um, plus again, imagine if this was the resume for Brian Kelly, beat Alabama and Georgia, win 10 games and win the SEC title in year one. At LSU, that would be crazy. It's unlikely. We're probably not going to have chaos, but I am rooting for chaos always. Uh, on Saturday evening, number two ranked Michigan plays unranked Purdue in the Big Ten title game. It's the East against the West. Purdue won the West. In the Big Ten East, you got Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. So it's not really the two best teams in the Big Ten. It's the two teams that won their side of the Big Ten. Um, the only way Michigan-Purdue is interesting is if Michigan loses to Purdue. If Michigan finds a way to lose, Michigan's 12-0, they're going to go to the college football playoff, so losing would be a massive failure for them and would open the door for Ohio State and other rivals to get in. So it's a must-win for Michigan, but I don't imagine Michigan's going to lose, so I, yeah, we'll see. It's interesting, but only interesting if Michigan does, in fact, lose this game. Uh, in the NFL, honestly, the number one game this weekend in the NFL is Cleveland at Houston. Deshaun Watson, the Browns quarterback, is returning from his suspension after a bunch of, the nicest way to put it, is sexual misconduct accusations. He's a scumbag, but he's good at football. And so, eh, we watch. And, you know, I hate to say it, but it's must-watch TV. It's Deshaun Watson playing against his old team, at Houston, where he played, and the team that drafted him, there's a lot of bad blood. The crowd is going to be insane. They're going to be angry. They're going to be chanting vulgar stuff. It's going to be really fun. Uh, remember, he demanded a trade away from Houston. Then it came out. He's a massive scumbag. I don't know, man. I, again, I say, I don't love that this is true, but I can't wait to watch it. I, I You know, it's a... It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I can't wait to see the crowd. I can't wait to, I, I, you know, I almost wish TV was even less censored so we could really hear the F-bombs and hear the stuff and lean into the crowd. And I wish, I wish society wasn't so, maybe prude is the word, where we can't broadcast stuff like, the children protect them from cuss words. It's like, they go to middle school. In middle school, they cuss everywhere. So like, it's a, I just don't understand why we're so careful to not expose the children to the bad stuff and our sensitive little ears. But I, I would pay so much money for an uncensored version of this football game to hear the crowd, to hear the cussing. To, I mean, it'll still happen a little bit, but I, I know it's going to be a little bit toned down and that's unfortunate. But if you're in that stadium, oh boy, I can only imagine how insane that crowd is going to be. And um, again, as an agent of chaos, I love chaos. 
going to be a chaotic, fun atmosphere. And that's the game of the week in the NFL for sure. Another interesting game, though, is Tennessee at Philly. Here's what's interesting. It's two teams that run the ball really, really well. And I'm just excited to watch this style of football. It's it's two de- very different styles of running games, but Philly's 10-1, and one, Tennessee's 7-4. and four. It's going to be a, a physical, brutal, intense, fun football game. Uh, there's another storyline here. Eagles receiver A.J. Brown is playing against his former team, the Tennessee Titans, who traded him away. That's going to be a good, interesting storyline. So it's a great game. It's an interesting storyline. Titans at Philly, probably the second-best game of the week in the NFL. Um, Jets-Vikings is really interesting. Jets quarterback Mike White is making his second start, replacing Zach Wilson, who got benched. We'll see how Mike White does. He played really well last week. Can he keep it going? He didn't make a lot of crazy high-level throws. He just executed the offense in kind of a boring, decent way. And I, you know, what's going to happen with another week of film? What is the Vikings defense going to do to disrupt Mike White? We will see. It's a huge test for Mike White because the Vikings are 9-2. and two. They're a good football team. I am very, very curious to see what happens. Now I feel guilty, though. I said that um, Titans at Philly might be the second best game of the week in the NFL. Here's another one that might be the second best game of the week. And I, you got to be fair and objective here. Casey uh, at Cincinnati is very, very interesting. It's a rematch of last year's AFC title game. Kansas City is 9-2. and two. The Bengals are 7-4. and four. I expect a close and exciting football game here. Uh, you got two great quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and the best in the land, Patrick Mahomes. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait for this football game. Dolphins at 49ers is going to be really fun. Miami is 8-3. and three. The 49ers are 7-4. and four. Miami head coach Mike McDaniel was the 49ers offensive coordinator last year. He knows the 49ers really well. I think that gives Miami an advantage in this football game. He knows their personnel really well. And 49ers running back Elijah Mitchell will not play in this game. Christian McCaffrey, their other running back, who they just traded for, is questionable. I think Miami wins here. Um, Here's why. To this day still, no one has been able to slow down or stop Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill with Miami's offense. The games they've lost have been times where Tua wasn't playing or things went wrong. You know, if we get a complete game from Tua, I, I just don't see... I don't know how Miami loses. Their offense is so explosive. And again, no one has been able to stop them. However, on top of Mike McDaniel knowing the 49ers, the 49ers know Mike McDaniel. He used to work in that building. If anyone can create a game plan based on how well they know Mike McDaniel, it is the 49ers. I don't think they can, but there's a chance that the 49ers could beat the Dolphins, and it's going to be a really fun, interesting, exciting football game. The Jaguars play Detroit. I am really, really curious to see how Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence does. He's coming off a really big game last week where maybe the best game of his NFL career. He had a great game against the Ravens. He also had a fourth quarter comeback. It was awesome. I want to see Trevor Lawrence play well again this week on the road against Detroit. Packers-Bears is interesting for no other reason than I don't know who's going to play quarterback. Uh, Bears quarterback Justin Fields is questionable. And even if he's not healthy, he's got no reason to play because every loss helps the Bears get a little bit better uh, draft pick. And so I don't know if Justin Fields is going to play. I don't know that he should play. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers left the game on Sunday hurt. He's got messed up ribs. He's got a broken thumb on his throwing hand. 
I think Aaron Rodgers is going to play. He says he's going to play, but ultimately who really knows? And I, I don't know. I, it's, this game is like a footnote. I don't know that I'm going to watch it. Like at least maybe not. I might watch it like Tuesday. I'm not going to, there's so many other great games on Sunday. I'm not going to go out of my way to try to, you know, I'm not going to skip the Bengals Chiefs game to watch Packers Bears, but it's certainly a game that I'll circle back to like later in the week and go, what happened here? Let's go watch it. Cause I, I am curious who plays quarterback and what goes down. Uh, it's not a priority, but it is interesting to me. Then I find um, Commanders Giants very interesting. Washington quarterback Taylor Heineke just keeps finding a way to do just enough to win football games. He's not amazing, but he wins. Washington has won three straight. Washington has actually won six of their last seven games. The Giants are on a two-game losing streak. The Giants are 7-4. and four. Washington is 7-5. and five. It's a really big... NFC East battle in New York. I am very, very curious what happens. Commanders at Giants. That's a really good game, in my opinion. There are three primetime games this week. On Thursday Night Football, uh, it's an AFC East battle. The Bills play at the Patriots. I think it's a great opportunity this week for the Bills to take a division lead from Miami. If Buffalo can win and Miami plays San Francisco, if Miami loses to the 49ers... It's very likely the Bills can grab first place back from them in the AFC East. I am very, very curious to see in this game how Patriots quarterback Mac Jones will play. You know, they lost to the Vikings on Thanksgiving, but he looked really good. And their offense looked even better than it has all year. They're making progress with their new offense that they're trying to evolve. So I'm very curious to see if Mac Jones keeps playing well this week on Thursday night. On Sunday Night Football, the Colts play at the Dallas Cowboys. It's not that interesting of a football game, in my opinion. Uh, it should be a very easy win for Dallas. They're a much better football team. They just have to execute, and I, I think they will. I can't imagine a world where Matt Ryan and the Colts can beat the Cowboys, unless the Cowboys have a monumental failure and are just terrible. But I, I don't see that. It's a really good front seven. Uh, it's a great front on defense for the Cowboys against a struggling offensive line for the Colts. It's a mismatch and Sunday night football shouldn't be close. The Colts should get obliterated by the Dallas Cowboys. Monday night football, Saints at Tampa. It's a fun, interesting NFC South battle. Tampa's trying and barely clinging to first in their division. They're five and six. I think this game is a great opportunity to put the microscope on Tampa and examine their problems. Offensive line is the number one problem in Tampa. It's hurting their offense. It's really holding them back. Monday night, what you can watch for is how does the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line play? I think not well. It's been the problem recently. We'll see if that continues. In the NFL, two teams have a bye week this weekend. The Carolina Panthers are not playing uh, you know, they last played with Sam Darnold and one. It's kind of unfortunate. I would have liked to see them continue their, you know, kind of getting on a roll with Sam Darnold. Uh, and then Arizona also doesn't play this week. Boy, they need a bye week. Arizona's four and eight. They're dysfunctional. They're bad. Um, I don't know. Arizona, they're, they're lucky to have a bye week this week. Now, there are three NFL games this weekend I have labeled as boring games that I don't care about, but I'll tell you about anyway. Denver against Baltimore. I, I can't imagine a world where Denver beats Baltimore. The Denver Broncos are awful. I don't want to watch them. Uh, this game shouldn't be close. It's only noteworthy if Denver can find a way. Like if Russell Wilson throws like 500 yards and five touchdowns, I go, whoa, what happened? But otherwise, don't care. Um, Seattle against the Rams is a bad game because 
Seattle should win easily. The Rams are missing a lot of their star players due to injuries. You know, I don't want to watch a a game that I already feel like I know the outcome to. Chargers at Raiders. You know, the Chargers are six and five. The Raiders are four and seven. Honestly, it's a bit unfair to put them in the boring game category because it's probably going to be a close, exciting, good game. Like, let's be clear about that. Just neither team is really in a good position. So there's, to me, there's so many more interesting storylines across the NFL. This is a game that I don't care about because I'd rather watch, I'd rather watch Mike White. I'd rather watch um, what happens with Justin Fields, what happens with Tua in Miami, what happens between Casey and Cincinnati, what happens in that great game at Philadelphia between Tennessee and Philadelphia. There, there's so many other great games that have more implications and better storylines that, um, you know, if you're excited for this game, hell yeah, enjoy it. It's probably actually going to be a, a close, weird, intense game that one of these teams is going to blow a lead at the end and have a wild game. And it's going to be like a one loss game because both teams are seem like teams that just don't want to win football games and they lose by one score constantly. So it's going to be a, probably very entertaining. I just think there's way better out there this week with more implications between teams that are actually in a playoff picture rather than the four and seven Raiders. So um, if you watch this game, I'm not belittling you. It's probably going to be fun, but I just don't find myself engaged or interested in it. All right, guys. Uh, I got one thing left today. It's, it'll be brief uh, as a garbage can goes by, garbage truck goes by. Um, and Formula One Ferrari team principal, Mattia Bonazzo, has stepped down. It's good to see him go. Uh, Ferrari was poorly managed. They underachieved. They had a lot of mistakes this year. It was really bad. I would imagine Mattia Bonotto was given the choice to either resign or be fired. There's not a lot to say here. I just, I wonder who Ferrari is going to hire as our next team principal. Now, I want to check before I go. I want to check to make sure there's no other news happening in the football world. Uh, so far today, looks like nothing has happened. So, um, <laughs> tonight, enjoy Patriots at Bills. I love you. I appreciate you. And, uh, ba dum bum bam we are, by the way, is it not weirdly serendipitous that, is serendipitous the right word there? I think it is. Coincidental is maybe a better word though. That right as I start talking about Mattia Bonotto, a giant garbage truck drives by. It's like, oh man, what funny timing. Anyway, I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Bam, we are.